confines. Nova Scotia, Canada, the pearl of the maritime provinces, located conveniently just to the east of uh, New Brunswick and uh, right near Labrador for easy access. The St. John of the South, Halifax, Nova Scotia, ladies and gentlemen, where the blustery breezes blow, fooling you that spring is in the air and that there's no such thing as fucking global warming here. Once again, the Proofcast takes to the ether from the confines of the fabulous Carlton right here in downtown Halifax. At the fabulous Halifax Comedy Festival. It takes place once a year, but it seems like more. Uh, we bring us all the way across the country on various flights to come all the way here to the end of the continent uh, to gaze out at the Atlantic and to once again fulfill our dreams as the pearl gray sky turns to umber and then all the clouds collide and a light rain falls almost incessantly. <laughs> The cry of the gull, the smell of the oil, the ropes. It's so shippy here. What can I tell you in Nova Scotia? It's all about ships. I've been on a boat a couple times, and wow, it's outside, so it's difficult for me. What does one wear on a ship? I can wear deck shoes, but after that, if I have to wear a nautical hat, shit, I'm going to have to lead a band from the 30s. It's a beautiful place here, and the people are dead nice, and let's jump right in. Let's start with hockey, shall we? Because, uh, exactly. Let's put the biscuit right in the fucking basket, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, well done, the Mooseheads of Halifax, the junior team, for going to the playoffs after a very tough first round where they pulled themselves up by their very blades. Uh, uh, and now they're going for the, the finals, and good for them. Congratulations, Mooseheads. I have been gorging on seafood here every day. It's an obscene seal-like, otter-like capacity I have <laughs> to eat comestible seafood, and I have come to the right place. Many times before on the Proofcast have I discussed the insane crustacea and mollusks of this area. Uh, the lobsters jump out of the water and into your lap, <laughs> speaking French, yelling, Mangez-moi. <laughs> Let me just read you what I've I've been here about 48 hours. I got in, by the way, in the middle of the night two nights ago at the Halifax Airport, or as we call it here, uh, Fisher Price International Airport. And, uh, yeah, whatever. It's a dollhouse with a custom stand. And, uh, and, and could it be further from Halifax? That's what makes me laugh so hard. The airport is 40 fucking miles from here. Did they think Halifax was going to explode into an Atlantic megalopolis full of lobster zombies walking up and down the whole day? People tying knots and whatnot and tarring the bottom of their boat with pitch so that the sea will not fuck with their equilibrium as they go out yet again to take the ceaseless bounty of the sea and all of its rich rewards. I have no idea why the airport's located so bloody far away. If you go to Boston in Massachusetts, you land in the city of Boston, and it takes approximately one minute to get into town. You land in Halifax, and you're like, oh, really? We're going to cross the fucking continent for a while. Good for us. Good for us. So I get in late on the night, right? And uh, it took an hour to get the bags. And I went over to the baggage lady. I didn't complain. I've learned my lesson. I've been to Canada a million times. And I know a lot about all y'all. First of all, you're shy and retiring for the most part until you get a shitload of whiskey and you and a hockey match is on. But by and large, you don't burn the town down unless you're a student in Montreal or, or you're a Canuck fan and Boston beats your ass. Then... 
By and large, you're shy, retiring, gentle, quiet, awesome, well-read people. But uh, uh, I go over to the... Uh, so complaining is not on the menu here. And then the service here in Canada is uh, somewhere between, I don't know, Scotland and the 1950s. So... <laughs> You can order a meal here, and then your waiter or wait person just fucks off into the night. And later, you receive a picture postcard from them. I'm in Bermuda now, having a wonderful time. I hope you get your dinner. I noticed you were American. What are you doing here? Um, spending some of our tiny little dollars uh, and hoping to get paid in gigantic, massive loonies. Um, so I went over to the luggage lady or whatever they're called, the woman who runs the luggage retrieval service at the bloody Halifax International fucking thing. And I go, uh, about our bags. I didn't even say anything like, like, where are they? Because I know where they are. They're on the plane that was two meters away from the carousel. Uh, and she goes, uh, there's only two guys working. And that was her answer. And I'm like, all righty then. Uh, apparently, they, they, they don't have to unload a plane until two planes uh, land. And so we waited an hour at one in the morning uh, to get our bags. Then I got into town and I was like, is there any room service? And the guy at the hotel went, we sold out of everything. And I was like, wow. Guess, guess you didn't plan on all the comedians arriving uh, for the comedy festival. Uh, and my other favorite question here is, hey, Greg, what are you doing in Halifax? Oh, I'm just on fucking holiday. There's a festival, you guys. Uh, like all the other festivals you have here all through the summer. What, you have the jazz festival and the meth festival and the uh, uh, fishnet mending orgy right around August and whatnot. I'm certain you have a million festivals here. Uh, so uh, I finally got some food the next morning. And I, uh, I, of course, I ate salmon, Nova Scotia salmon and eggs. Then I went for lunch across the street at the seaport. I had fish and chips. Uh, then I had salmon for dinner. Then yesterday, I had seafood chowder. Today, a lobster roll. Uh, I just had oysters before the show. Last night, quite drunk, alone in my room watching the Muppet movie, I ate a pound of poutine, ladies and gentlemen. You're lucky I can even fucking sit here. Poutine goes into your body and becomes building material in your lower digestive system. You're never going to expel it from your body. And yes, I ate all of it with a plastic fork, much like... Like a, like a wolf man just hunched over it, french fries dropping from my mouth, gravy hanging off of me. It was oogly. Uh, so I can't really get enough seafood while I'm here, and it's exactly why I come. Surely you can get seafood everywhere. Yeah, but the lobsters don't cha-cha into the pot like they do here. Uh, I'm having trouble reading my own writing here because I can't see shit because I'm blind as fuck. Um... I, I want to start with a quote that we always start with, or we have been the last couple of weeks, by James McNeil Whistler, the famous American expatriate painter. Uh, if other people are going to talk, conversation becomes impossible. <laughs> exactly. You know what conversation's like. All you hear is blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's my turn now. And uh, as Thelonious Monk once said, what should we wear tonight? Uh, sharp as possible. Uh, I wanted to start with talking about Louis Armstrong because uh, there was a, 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 a box set, or I don't know if it's a box set, it's like a little um, a download you can do of Louis Armstrong's last show. Louis Armstrong was a jazz musician who invented jazz with like three other guys, uh, born in New Orleans, somewhere around the turn of the last century. And uh, well, you know who Louis Armstrong is, don't you? We're in a jazz club here, but you have to remember people listen all over the world and there's teenagers listening. And to them, I might as well say, Yes, before Katy Perry, and the world was a swirling ball of gas. 
Before Lady Gaga, there was a thing called jazz. Louis Armstrong invented it in New Orleans with King Oliver. And of course, uh, he uh, lived to about 69, I'm about 70 years old. Well, right before he passed away, he was quite ill with various ailments. And they asked him to do a press dinner at the White House um, in Washington, D.C., not at the White House. And um, he sang five songs and played the whole night. And they've just released it. And you can download it if you want. If you go online, you'll find it. And um, Louis Armstrong, uh, there's really not enough you can say about him. He, uh, he's a virtuoso trumpet player. He smoked marijuana every moment of his life. I don't know how other way to put it. Uh, I'd like to say that he smoked it occasionally, but you can watch videos of him, and there's a famous concert in Denmark. He was known for going out at the intermission and, and blowing one, and then when he'd come back in, you knew he was high because he'd go, I'm ready. So they show the concert in the first half he's playing, then they come back after the interval, and he comes on and he goes, I'm ready. And everybody's like, uh-huh. Um... <laughs> And he blows his brains out. It is awesome. Uh, so he, uh, he made this, uh, I don't know if you call it a record. I guess it's a recording. In any case, uh, uh, about the chat in the back. I'm doing a fucking awesome show up here. Oh, yeah. No, this isn't a fucking comedy show. There's no chatting, and I'm not a cocktail piano. I will dick whip this fucking crowd. You'll understand why. Oh, yeah, you fucking will. May I, may I point out that you volunteered to be in this room tonight. So if you become bored at any point, that's your fucking problem. Not my fucking problem. Uh, we're making a, a worldwide podcast here that'll, be, that'll go down in history, along with Louis Armstrong's last five songs. Um, David Frost, I guess, hosted the show. And he did Hello, Dolly, and he did Mac the Knife and all that jazz. And uh, along with... This is the best part, though. When you order the... Uh, the when you download... These, uh, these five songs of, of Louis Armstrong's last show. It's right before he passed away. Uh, he also, it also includes a, a recipe book from Louis Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. That I fucking need. First of all, I need to know, when he rolled a, 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 a joint, or in his, in his vernacular, when he rolled a bomb of gauge, um, did he put a filter on the end? Did he just smoke it raw? I'm sure he didn't use a pipe because he wasn't a douchebag. Um... <laughs> He invented jazz, so I'm guessing he smoked a bomb right fresh from the thing. And in, the, uh, in his recipe booklet, you receive a, a recipe for uh, Louisiana caviar. Now, I studied all day today looking to try to find what Louisiana caviar is, and I have no fucking idea whatsoever. I think it's fish. It might be vegetables. Uh, in any case, I need someone to download this and report back to me on what Louisiana caviar is. Uh, as you know, he's from uh, uh, Louisiana. He's from New Orleans. And of course, uh, the Cajuns are all from New Orleans. And uh, as you well remember, in the history of Nova Scotia, once upon a time when England ruled this land, uh, the French were here before you. And uh, they were all, uh, how do I put this? There was a pogrom against them. Uh, and they were all made to be, uh, they were interned on an island right out here, uh, right out here in the water off of uh, Nova Scotia. One of the glorious moments in your history. And then the rest of them, there was a diaspora. And many of them went to Louisiana, where they uh, started shit-kicking, stomping fucking fiddle music. And, uh, and roasting pigs in giant uh, uh, oil drums outside their trailers. Uh, the Cajuns are very, very lively indeed. Uh, and there's that, that element of French about them. And uh, it, there's also a recipe for a Sazerac, which is an amazing cocktail. Now, if you've ever had a Sazerac, they're insanely sweet. I mean, the minute you take the first sip of a Sazerac, you're like, insulin! You know what I mean? Like, you really... They're a diabetic coma waiting to happen. Uh, the original Sazerac, according to what I found out today, was uh, uh, concocted by uh, a man who'd come up from the Caribbean... 
uh, I think, I don't know what it was called then, but now it's called Haiti. And his name was Antoine Peychaud. And uh, he, uh, he was an apothecary, which means uh, he dealt drugs. And he, uh, he concocted the first bitters, the Peychaud bitters that are still extant, uh, albeit not un, uh, owned by his family in any way. Uh, apparently the Sazerac was because his favorite brandy was Sazerac de... I can't pronounce this. Oh, my French is fucking awful. So Zuck de Folafie. And uh, in any case, it was originally cognac and absinthe. So you can imagine how a Sazerac, exactly, uh, would be a, a hallucinatory experience. I think after a couple of Sazeracs, you're like, I'm going to go home and write my memoirs in a language I don't know. <laughs> and I'm going to scent every page and put a daisy on all the eyes. <laughs> Then absinthe was banned, if you can believe that. Uh, and of course, it's back now. Uh, and then they switched it over to bitters, and uh, they switched it over to rye whiskey. You can still get the Sazerac at the Fairmont in New Orleans. Here's the recipe, in case you want to make one. It's three to four dashes of 120 proof Pernod. Now, I don't know if anyone's ever drank Pernod before, but it's very licorice -y. It's yellow, and then when you put ice in it, it clouds. So there's bizarre uh, chem chemical uh, reactions going on that I have no idea. I'm not a chemist or a biochemist chemist. I am, however, an alcoholic, and I can assure you that Pernod mixed with rum and a lime is delightful, especially after you've blown a gigantic bomb of gauge. If you smoke some mash or some muggles, dude, you are going to get live and go, I am ready. Uh, two ounces of rye, right there is enough, really. If you've ever had rye whiskey, kittens, of course you have, you're Canadian. Um, not many people drink it anymore uh, that have weak hearts. Uh, three to four hearty, hearty dashes of Peixo bitters and one long, thin twist. This is indicated in the recipe. One long, thin twist of lemon. So don't fucking short me and cut one off the end where it says sun-kissed. I don't want the K-I-S-T part on my lemon. I want an elegant, long, sinewy, Mobius strip of lemon that I have no idea where the beginning or end is. So that after the Pernod meets the absinthe and the bitters and the rye whiskey, my mind is adrift uh, on memory bliss. Uh, a sugar cube and then water and then uh, thank you one person remembers that song uh, optional club soda that's my favorite part I guess the club soda is to water it down a little bit so you don't pass out after the first fucking when, it, when the drink is put on your table and you inhale it at that moment uh, you're supposed to place the Pernod well chilled right in an old fashioned glass tilt the glass right till the Pernod covers the entirety of the, in the, uh, the interior of the glass and then pour the Pernod out right and then you put rye and bitters with ice cubes in a shaker you shake for 30 seconds I'm not certain what the penalties are if you go 45 uh, I don't know if the ghost of Armstrong rises and plays a high C in your ear or uh, King Oliver makes you wear a green felt derby hat I don't know what the fuck happens but apparently it's 30 seconds and then you pour that into the glass and then uh, so you see what's happened the rye and the ice go into the glass where the Pernod was so it's just a scintilla a jot an inference of Pernod so that the licorice doesn't overwhelm your Sazerac and then you uh, gently it says gently uh, twist and drop the long ass lemon peel into it they are divine I don't know if they can make them here I don't think anyone's ordered a Sazerac in Nova Scotia since 1785 <laughs> or right when you uh, ejected the Acadians from this lovely place um, 
He was from Haiti, yes. Uh, apparently, he uh, uh, used a cup, uh, Mr. Peshaw, Monsieur Peshaw, called a coquetier, which, of course, in Cajun is coquetier, which they say is the uh, origin of the word and the derivation of the word cocktail. There's a million other explanations, but I prefer his, so I'm going with that. I'm going to say he invented the cocktail, and I adore cocktails because they have alcohol in them. Um, I, of course, take my vodka straight because I don't want any foo-foo fussing around. Let's get the cerebral cortex right into the fucking mix. I want the alcohol to go directly into the bloodstream and then right into the brain. And a Percocet doesn't hurt either at that point. (laughs) Now, like I said... Louis Armstrong smoked marijuana every day of his life because, as he once said, it helps with the blues. And who could deny that? Uh, anytime you're thinking about uh, you're at your job, and you might be at your job right now listening to this podcast, uh, this is an awesome time to go, I, I want to go to the bathroom. I need to duck out and take my tan or whatever, and then just dash outside and fucking light up uh, a bomb. Uh, this is an awesome time for that. If you're at the gym right now listening while you're on the Stairmaster, just think about after you're done with the gym is an awesome time to get high because your endorphins are raging. Uh, so it'll swim right into your bloodstream. This is what Louis Armstrong said about marijuana. Um, it really puzzles me to see... Um, crikey, my writing is fucking terrible. I, I really do write like a psychiatrist with like a horrible Eugene O'Neill indecipherable fucking scrawl. N- normally I'd print it out, but I couldn't be bothered today. See, uh, it, it really puzzles me to see marijuana uh, connected with narcotics, uh, dope, and that crap. It's a thousand times better than whiskey. It's an assistant and a friend. Now, I've heard marijuana called many things, but an assistant is my favorite thing I've ever heard marijuana called. Thank God I brought some of my assistants with me here tonight. I don't have any... Uh, I, I don't have a, what do they call a, a personal assistant? In, in Hollywood, people have personal assistants because um, they don't have lives and they think they're better than you. And um, they think they're better than you because they're in show business. And, and so they never actually, uh, like Eddie Murphy, for instance, has never actually changed one of his five children's diapers. Neither has Madonna. They have someone do it for them. I think that's obviating yourself from all the duties of your own life. Getting your mail and buying groceries and going to the post office and, and washing dishes, that is your fucking life. Sorry, that's part of your life too do you really want to have someone do everything fucking for you a lot of you are thinking i wouldn't mind it that much greg uh so i have my assistant uh as did uh, Louis armstrong <laughs> uh this is from the globe and mail this morning uh it, it's a, an editorial yesterday's globe and mail the trusting evidence instead of rhetoric it's all about the drug war because as you know your prime minister here mr harper uh is um n- not on the side of marijuana uh, and in, in our country, uh, President uh, Hope has uh, promised when he was uh, when he was elected, he promised that he was not going to prosecute marijuana. As you recall, Bill Clinton said he didn't inhale and Obama said, I inhaled. That's the point. Uh, four years into this, he's prosecuting all the medical marijuana places that are uh, extant in the United States. They're coming after marijuana in a big way. They closed down a place called Oaksterdam uh, in in Oakland, California, which was a a vital learning center and place where the sick went uh, to receive succor and sustenance. And so uh, he's been a complete Shonda about marijuana. Uh, Shonda is a Yiddish word that means little embarrassment. Yiddish is what Jews speak when they're controlling the media. Now... um, (laughs) (laughs) 
There was a panel, apparently, a blue ribbon global commission on drug policy. Well, you can imagine that group of unhappy, rapey, fucking fat ass white guys in a room talking about our lives and what drugs mean to us and shit. Guys who've never smoked a joint in their life. Guys who've never bought a dime bag on the corner. Guys who've never smoked pot so long that they forgot to turn the fucking TV off and fell asleep in a bowl of their own poutine. Um, Paul vote. George Schultz, the former U.S. Secretary of State. Oh, yeah. When I think about hipster smoke reefer fucking groove cat, I think George Schultz, the, the former head of Bechtel and the, and the pre- Secretary of State under Ronald Reagan, what he wouldn't know about marijuana, boy, you could put in the cargo hold of a scow here and take out into whatever the Bay of Fundy and fucking dump it and have room for the entire knowledge of the universe is what you could have. Uh, uh, then Paul Volcker, who was the former chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. The Federal Reserve Board uh, is an institution in the United States that's in charge of making sure the poor will never raise out of poverty. Mm. So you'd think he'd know something. And then uh, Sir Richard Branson, a director of the Drug Policy Alliance. That can't be the same Sir Richard Branson that's the head of Virgin Airlines, can it? If it was, I would trust this report a little bit more because... Anyone who owns Necker Island and a bunch of islands around the world and has that fucking unspeakable long hair at that age and facial hair that Richard Branson has, you know has burned a fucking fat one and listened to Toots and the Maytals all night long while consuming pina coladas and being fed cherries by nubile black maidens wearing nothing but grass skirts with their hamies out um, and orchids around their necks. Uh, Drugs are freely available right now to all the drug users and addicts in your country. They get them by giving money to the criminal underworld, says Mr. Branson. Au contraire. They get them by giving it to their fucking pot dealer. My pot dealer's not a member of the criminal underworld. I've never seen him wear a white fucking tie with a black shirt and a striped Panama hat or anything like that. He's never worn knuckle dusters and driven up in a Duesenberg and got me with his Roscoe. I think you you buy marijuana from friendly fucking pot dealers in my experience. Uh, there are 250 million illicit drug users in the world today. Lowball! Well, how many people are in the world? Four or five billion or something like that? 250 million drug users? I don't fucking hardly think so. Hey, George Schultz. Great fucking adding there. Awesome math. Uh... 10% are dependent on drugs. Again, eh, let's fucking call that one back. I wouldn't say I was dependent. Let's just say I need an assistant and a friend. <laughs> Cocaine use has gone up by 27%. Well, I wonder why that is. Let me just speak to an issue here. When I was in high school back in the uh, 40s, right after the war, we had just showed Fritz a thing or two, I'll tell you that. When I was in high school in the 70s uh, and Ted Nugent was an actual rock star and not just a right-wing douchebag. I mean, he's a, he was a right-wing douchebag then, but he also wore an, he wore an animal tail and no shirt. And he, uh, what was it? Never before have a turn down you. You look too good to me. Your bitty eyes really cut me in two and I just can't let you be. Well, it's a free-for-all and you can lay and you can bet your life. Stakes are high and so am I. It's in the air tonight. It's a free-for-all. First of all, the idea that he came out a couple weeks ago and said he was going to like shoot Obama and shit like that and all that. Dude, he wrote Cat Scratch Fever. I really wouldn't take him that seriously. He wrote a song called Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang. He is a poet. Thank you. Someone said he's a poet. It's right. Wang Dang, what a sweet poon tang. 
shaking her thang like a rang a dang a dang of a bell. I, I really can't take him that seriously. Uh, yeah. Uh, cocaine cost uh, uh, $100 a gram then. Cocaine cost $100 a gram now. Uh, yet marijuana went from $10 an ounce to fucking $500 an ounce in the same time period. So you tell me if the war on drugs is winning. Uh, so uh, let's see here. Uh, blah, 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 heroin, da, 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 da. Despite all the evidence to the contrary, the false assumption that users are deterred by punishment is still invoked with great conviction by many, including Mr. Harper. No one goes, I'm about to boot this fucking Mexican brown into my eyeball because if I don't, I'm going to be jinky as a fucking chinchilla on a meth binge. And I don't want to beat this old lady to death with a fucking plastic rake that I have in my possession so that I can score more. But if I do, I wonder what the penalties will be. If you're going to be a fucking junkie, you're going to be a fucking junkie. I believe Curtis Mayfield said it best. Freddy's on the corner now. If you want to be a junkie, wow. Remember, Freddy's dead. We're all filled up with progress, but sometimes I must confess we can deal with rockets and dreams, but reality, what does it mean? Ain't nothing said. Because Freddy's dead. Uh, yeah. Uh, enforcement of drugs is the stupidest, biggest, giantest waste of money in the history of fucking mankind. Uh, the idea that marijuana is some sort of gateway drug is absolutely fucking ridiculous. I've been smoking marijuana for mm, all afternoon, and... <laughs> All the way back to the 70s, and I've never gone, God, I could really go for some China White, and I could just shoot that shit right between my toes tonight and do the best proof cast ever. You don't really make that fucking leap unless you're bent that way, if you want my fucking opinion, and you're getting it right now. Uh, there's a war on drugs. How come there's not a war on war? You know what I'm saying? Don't you think war costs more lives, makes more people unhappy, fucks up the world more, ruins the economy, leaves us all fucking gasping for breath, having to work as hard as we fucking can all the time while libraries are cut, while healthcare is cut, while everything is fucking cut so that they can maintain all these giant fucking global wars at all fucking time? The point of war is to destroy resources so that no one can have any fucking money. That's the point of war. The point of a war on drugs is so that we won't be happy. Why do people use drugs, Greg? Because they fucking work. That's why people use drugs. That's what Fran Lebowitz said, and it's true. You smoke a joint, and you don't give a fuck about the government for two seconds of your fucking life, or your boss, or your shitty corporate fucking existence. That's why drugs are awesome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, cannabis is on... Uh, this is my favorite sentence in the whole thing here. Uh, alcohol was the third most harmful substance um, following... Hit Again, don't break into discussion groups. This isn't your time to chat. You'll find that it's my time to chat for the whole hour. And then later, when we adjourn, you may go out onto the street here, have your cigarette 16 feet away from the door. Which, by the way, you pay $10 for a pack of cigarettes. Shouldn't you be able to smoke them fucking anywhere in Canada? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you fucking should. They're taxing you to death on cigarettes. We're grown-ups. We're in a saloon. You should be able to smoke. Sorry. That's what grown-ups do. They do what grown-ups get to fucking do. But smoking Don't be a fucking pussy. You're in a saloon. You're drinking poison. No one's forcing you to do it. There's no children in here, for fuck's sake. 
alcohol is the third most harmful substance following heroin and cocaine. Cannabis is 10th on the list behind tobacco. And yet tobacco and alcohol are legal while cannabis is not. This is the Globe and Mail. This is not me. Uh, illicit drug use accounts for 250,000 deaths a year compared with alcohol, which kills 2.3 million people a year. Fucking cheers. Mm. Don't be a casualty tonight. Uh, many political leaders and public figures acknowledge that pre- repressive strategies have only made the drug problem worse. It took 14 years for America's leader to repeal prohibition. After 50 years of the failed drug war, it's time for today's leaders to find the courage to speak out. Fucking A. Exactly. That was the Globe and Nail, you guys, of all papers, right? Not exactly the, the, the bleeding heart lefty Vancouver fucking roll a joint in the Globe and Mail bud paper. <laughs> Let's get back to hockey, because that's where we're coming from. I'm so sorry that the Senators are out. I know you don't fucking root for Ottawa, but uh, they're the last Canadian team out. Now, what is it? Like, all the hot spots of hockey, Phoenix and fucking Florida and shit like that. Uh, You may have seen that Boston got beat, which I couldn't be happier about. Uh, Joel Ward, who's a black player in the NHL, which is like being a black player in the NHL. The cheese stands alone. The cheese stands alone. Hi ho, the Dario. The cheese stands alone. I'm definitely one black guy in a room with 20 white guys, Ward said. There are definitely some cultural differences, such as taste in music. Yeah, Ward's from the Caribbean, right? So he's probably trying to groove to some sort of unbelievable ska fucking groove chicken beat or whatever. And all the fucking Canadian and Russian guys on the team are playing, uh, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. My woman done left and they got a reason. His parents were born in Barbados. You guys have all been to Barbados. You're Canadian. And he slipped the puck past a man who was public enemy number one among D.C. hockey fans, Tim Thomas. Now, you remember remember Tim Thomas? Earlier this year, when the Bostons uh, beat Vancouver, uh, he refused to join his team at the White House to be congratulated by President Obama because he dislikes big government. Sure, that's the reason. I think we all speak sports code. Uh, it's like when uh, the Republicans in the United States say they want to restore America. They want to restore America, of course, to being two water fountains, one for the president, one for everyone else. And uh, you don't have to act all huffy. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We're grownups in a bar. We're grownups in a bar. You'll make it. There's never been a sports star who didn't go and meet the, pr- the president because they didn't like big government. Let me just put it that way. Sports uh, teams have been going to meet the president for about a zillion years, and not once has this ever fucking happened until Tim Ward. Well, that's who, uh, uh, um, excuse me, Joel Ward, uh, uh, shot by uh, Tim, Tim Thomas. Excuse me, I, I switched their last names. It's so easy to do because they're almost identical looking. <laughs> Brian Mitchell, a former NFL player and now a sportscaster, tweeted, Great win by the Caps, and it's crazy that Joel Ward scored on Tim Thomas. Special delivery from the president. Poetic Justice tweeted another uh, African-American. I detest the phrase Uh, African-American. That makes me a European-American, does it? Um, 
Joel Ward for president. Let's really make Tim Thomas angry, wrote Kerry O'Reilly, a legal reporter for Bloomberg. Others on Twitter directed vile racial slurs Ward's way, prompting condemnation from the NHL. The people responsible for these comments have no place associating themselves with our game, the league said in a statement. Fucking brave, NHL. Ooh, is that limb going to hold you, NHL, that you've gone out on? (laughs) Great black players of the NHL is a very thin book indeed. It's as thin as great Jewish athletes, the encyclopedia. Well, well done, the Caps, and well done, Mr. Ward. And we move along to another local story here. This is from your own uh, Chronicle Herald here uh, in Halifax, your local paper. Yes, I read your local fucking paper here. Uh, A Mountie honored for books about the black experience. Smith's uh, a a Nova Scotia RCMP officer. Let me explain that to the rest of the world, because we're in Canada. You know what it is. But the rest of the world's like, what's an RCMP officer? That would be the Royal Canadian Mounted fucking Police. Uh, Just like in the movies with the red uniforms and the horse and Dudley Do-Right. I'll save you, Nell. Uh, Do-Right, there's a bit of a a do downtown. Of course I will, Inspector. Uh, He's in the RCMP. He's, He's a black guy in the RCMP, which is a lot like being a black guy on the Washington Capitals. When you walk in and go, hey, do you mind if I put my jams on? They go, well, we weren't done listening to, you know, like Blue Rodeo. That's a Canadian group. Sergeant Craig Smith will receive a Harry Jerome Award in the media category during a gala dinner in Toronto on Saturday. The Harry Jerome Awards recognize outstanding achievement by people in the African-Canadian community, an even more odious phrase than African-Americans. So what does that make you guys? Blue-eyed, patty motherfuckers, I guess. Scottish Irish fucking devils who threw the French out because of their food. And and yet you eat poutine at night. Ah, the Acadians had some magic they cast over you if you still eat French fries with gravy and curd. Uh, they were created in memory of Jerome and Olympian, passionate about helping young athletes and creating more opportunities for people in the black community. Smith said he was pleasantly surprised when he found out he won. An accomplished writer, he's published four books about the history of African Canadians with a focus on Nova Scotians. Well done, uh, Sergeant Smith. Um, it says here, the book can't be purchased in stores yet, but has been approved as required reading for every grade eight social studies and grade two African Canadian studies class in Nova Scotia. So someone just went in a very Canadian way. Oh, oh, that's very good, eh? Then there was a Negro, and he didn't shoot anyone for no reason. He shot them for a reason, because he was a policeman. Even though you're a young white Canadian, sometimes black people are authority figures. Wearing a uniform with stripes on it and everything. Oh, look, he wrote four books, and you can't even find a book in your house. Oh, look what I did. I made fun of white people, and you got mad. (laughs) When we're learning, does it matter what color the kids are in the classroom? We can all benefit and learn from each other. 
uh, each other's history, he said. Smith is in charge of victim services and crime prevention for the Halifax District. Is among 18 Jerome Award recipients. Well done, Sergeant Smith. Hooray for you. Uh, hey, Proofcast people, if you're going to buy something, uh, go to my website, gregproofs.com, and click on the Amazon skyscraper banner on the right side of my site. And then I get credit for sending you there, and uh, you will live a happier life. Uh, when I was walking along today, uh, along the waterfront here, uh, before I went and had my lobster roll, which was off the fucking deep end, um, <laughs> the thing about you get a lobster roll in the States, and there's like a picky unit amount of lobster, right? There's like, a, you know, oh, that's some lobster. Here, I know that people grew up here. There's so much fucking lobster here that poor kids brought fucking lobster to school, and rich kids brought peanut butter and scoffed at the poor kids. That's what makes me laugh about this uh, province and uh, so it was it was laden with lobster it was groaning with lobster it was a cornucopia of lobster it was a it was a juggernaut of lobster it was a, a it was a it was a sandstorm of lobster i don't that's a completely inapt metaphor for lobster <laughs> it was a briny neptune's catch full of the fucking bounty of the sea of lobster it was a crustacean fucking orgy on a hot dog bun there was a little too much lettuce. That's my one criticism. You don't need that much lettuce. You don't need that much celery. I have a little bit of mayonnaise, a little bit of paprika. That's all you fucking need. Maybe a couple little, little pieces of celery. That's all. Because I've done it at home and it's fucking awesome. Uh, too much lettuce and you're like, what's the droopy fucking disappointing vegetable part of this lobster? I came for the lobster. I didn't come for fucking lettuce. I can get lettuce anytime. Lettuce doesn't live at the bottom of the sea and grow to enormous fucking sizes and they have to be 30 years old before you boil it in a pot and occasionally they're blue. No, lettuce has none of the interests that crustaceans have. Lettuce doesn't scream when you drop it in a pot of boiling water. By the way, understand this about lobsters. They worship us and wish to die at our hand. If you go, thank you. If you go to the bottom of the sea and look where the crustaceans live, they fucking have a shrine with a human face on it and a little nutcracker and a dish of drawn butter. That's the picture that they, that's what they worship. They light little votive lobster undersea candles. They use the little, you know, they, they grab a little angler fish with a fucking luminous thing on the end of it. And that's what they light up their shrine with. Because they love us and they want to be eaten by us. Uh, and then I had, I also had seafood chowder with it and then french fries and then apple crisp made with local Nova Scotia apples and a, a giant scoop of ice cream. I'm bloating. I never, ever, ever, ever want to wear tight clothing again. I want to have gigantic, lush male breasts. So I was walking along the waterfront today, which, by the way, not that active during a fucking cold-ass, half-ass rainy day. It was me, a couple of Japanese people, a couple of sullen teenagers. There's a sign that says, don't smoke on the wooden part. And I'm like, they don't mean dope. Um, there's a little wooden pier that runs along the waterfront here. You can see the lighthouse. You can see the island where the Acadians were kept in their horrible uh, fucking um, pogrom before they were decimated. It's nice. Uh, there's the town, the old clock here, which has been here for a couple of hundred years. I was going to go on this trip, but I remember when I was here the first time three years ago, I went up to the old town clock and um, I, I, two children died of boredom. It was just horrible. <laughs> seriously. Seriously. Can you imagine taking a child to see the clock? Now we're going to go to the Citadel. May I read the book about the African-Canadian contribution to Nova Scotia? 
And as I walked along and I saw the clouds crashing into each other and the gulls crying and the water lapping against the shore and all the shippiness and uh, the smell of pitch and whatnot, uh, I, 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 I thought of poetry. Uh, there's a, a surrealist poet named uh, Pierre Riverde who had an affair with Coco Chanel. And Coco Chanel, as you know, uh, the amazing designer who invented basically women's sportswear and knitwear. Before that, women had to wear horrible. You've seen those garments from the turn of the century. Women go bathing and they've got an entire outfit on that covers them from fucking ankle to head with giant sleeves and the weird little ruffles and shit around it. Coco Chanel was the woman who put women in Jersey, right? And she was the one who said, uh, uh, the little black, the little black suit, right? The little black suit, the, the Chanel suit. Um, and, and anyway, Coco was a heinous collaborator with the Nazis during World War II, which Paul uh, Pierre uh, uh, forgave her for. Pierre was in the resistance during World War II. Anyway, he was with Andre Breton and uh, Tristan Zara and part of the surrealist movement. And he wrote a poem that reminded me of all y'all today. Uh, and I'm like, yes, that's right. I told you there was boring preacher parts. There's also poetry parts of this show. You had no idea what you fucking signed up for when you came to this fucking thing. Here we go. It's called uh, The Traits of the Sky. The fire that dances, the bird that sings, the wind that dies, the icy waves, and the surges of rumor. In the ear, the distant cries of the day that passes, all the weary flames, the voice of the voyager, all the powder in the sky, all the power, excuse me, all the powder in the sky, the heel on the earth, the eye fixed on the road where steps are inscribed, which the number unrolls to the name that has left in the folds of the clouds, the unknown fate, the one which you watch and which has not won. Oh, fuck me. (laughs) The one which you watch and which is not won. Ah, well, I, I clanged the end of the poem. It started out brilliantly, and you were all very attentive and quiet. In any case, you can go read it on your own. It's Pierre Riverde. I, let me just say to you, Mr. Riverde, in the grave, uh, je suis désolé. Je suis a fucking désolé. Uh, we have many podcast uh, proofcasts coming up all around the world. Uh, we're here in Halifax this weekend, and then uh, next weekend we're in Portland, Oregon, not Portland, Maine. We'll be doing a podcast in Portland, Oregon at the Helium on the, the uh, 3rd of May, and then we'll be in um, uh, Seattle, Washington, uh, more precisely Bellevue, Washington, outside of Seattle, the rich part of Washington. Uh, if Seattle's the uh, tattooed junkie part, then Bellevue's the part that goes to uh, uh, the Starbucks in the morning and goes, oh, there's too much milk. Um, I ordered a half-calf decaf non-fat chai. Uh, that will be at the Parlor Live on um, May 6th. Uh, May 9th, we'll be back in Los Angeles at the Bar Lubitsch for a gay cast. Uh, that's in West Hollywood. On the 15th, we'll be at the Nerd Melt in Hollywood. Uh, May 30th, we'll be at Bar Lubitsch again. Then in Washington, D.C., uh, the capital, I believe, of the United States, on the uh, 7th of June. In the 13th of June, the Soho Theater in London, uh, for our English friends. We'll also be at the Utterbelly Comedy Festival there doing stand-up that weekend. Then we're going to Dublin, Ireland, uh, on the 17th to do stand-up at Wayland's, and then a podcast, or a spudcast, if you will. Uh, we'll be doing a spudcast at Whalen's on the 19th. Uh, on the 20th, we'll be at the Comedy Store in London if you want to come see me do improv with all the English Who's Line guys. Oh. They will be there. Uh, the 28th, we'll be at the Varsity Theater in Minneapolis. Uh, on the 30th of uh, June in Sacramento, 
California, the uh, festive capital of California, at the punchline there. You can always uh, email me at smartestofspecialthing.com if you wish to post a query or poke me or prod me in any uh, bloody way whatsoever. And like that. Uh, also, of course, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, you might think about going to my website, gregproofs.com. <laughs> Nip down to the right side. There's a skyscraper banner. Click on that. And I think you'll find that everyone will look at you differently <laughs> with a newfound respect. I'm so fucked off that I fucked the last words of that poem up because I can't read my own fucking writing. That'll teach me. Um, I was talking about Levon Helm on the last podcast because Levon Helm is from, I think, what might be one of the most grandest Canadian bands of all time, the band, right? Now, he was the only American member of the band. The rest were a full-on Canadian and several Indians, uh, or First Nations, if you will, uh, in the band, Robbie and Ricky and... Uh, uh, gosh, there's hardly any of them alive now. Just Robbie and Garth, I think. Um, anyway, I was having kind of a Leave on Helm festival. And if you've ever seen the movie The Last Waltz, uh, Joni Mitchell, the uh, uh, illustrative and uh, the, uh, the immortal goddess of uh, poetry from this country, uh, from McLeod, Fort McLeod, Alberta, um, and raised in Saskatchewan, um, Joni Mitchell wrote a song called Coyote that she does on The Last Waltz, and they do a, a mad version of it. It's so beautiful. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up tonight was because it's the only song I can think of that mentions a, a nearby body of water to uh, the Halifax area. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole one, although this one I can read because it's actually printed out. Yeah, thank you. Someone went, can you read it? Yes, mate, I can read it because uh, they, they very Jonathan here at the club very politely printed this out for me today. Uh, if you know the song Coyote, it's off the album Hijara. And uh, Joni went through so many phases, right? She wrote so many songs and then she came to uh, the United States and sold a bunch of her songs. And Judy Collins had a hit with both sides now and, and Big Yellow Taxi. She got a record deal. Then, of course, she went in a jazz direction. I'm sure you're familiar with Joni Mitchell, the artist, but uh, she's fabulous and she's still living in, uh, in Brentwood, California. Thank you. One, one lady, everyone else. Hey, Greg, we didn't know this was going to be about faggotry. When are you going to talk about hockey again? Woodstock. She wrote Woodstock, baby. We are stardust. We are golden. Uh, and we've got to get ourselves back to the ga-ha-ha-har-har-har-den. Uh, in the song Coyote, uh, obviously she's having an affair with some guy who works on a ranch because she says, um, what... Uh, we just come from such different set of circumstance. I'm up all night in the studios and you're up early on your ranch. You'll be brushing out a broodmare's tail while the sun is ascending. And I'll just be getting home with my reel to reel. There's no comprehending just how close to the bone and the skin and the eyes and the lips you can get and still feel so alone and still feel related like stations in some relay. Uh, this is the line that I wanted to read you because I thought it was awesome. Uh, where is it? Here we go. Uh, Coyote's in the coffee shop. He's staring a hole in his scrambled eggs. He picked, I would sing it, but I can't do any fucking justice to it. So I'm a little bit better on Wang Dang Sweet Poontang than I am on... <laughs> Ted Nugent, I'll sing for you all and I... Oh, yeah, I'll fucking sing a lot of Ted Nugent songs for you. I remember one off the album, Wango Tango, or, or was it Double Live Gonzo? Uh, I believe he introduces one of his songs. It was, this next song is called The Great White Buffalo. Yeah. That was the kind of poetry Ted was after. <laughs> and I believe one of the lyrics in that is, the Indian and the buffalo were living hand in hand. Ted. 
I'm not a zoologist or a naturalist in any way, but I think you'll find the buffalo doesn't have a hand. He can live in hand with the Indian with. I think you'll find the Indian was living hoof in hand with the great white buffalo, Ted. Uh, coyote's in the coffee shop. He's staring a hole in his scrambled eggs. He picks up my scent on his fingers. Ooch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. While he's wa- watching the waitress's legs, he's too far from the Bay of Fundy. Yeah. From Appaloosas and Eagles and Tides and the air-conditioned cubicles and the carbon ribbon rides are spelling it out so clear. Either he's going to have to stand and fight or take off out of here. I tried to run away myself to run away and wrestle with my ego. Or she would say, my ego. And with this flame you put here in this Eskimo, in this hitcher, in this prisoner of the fine white lines. And as she says on the glass waltz, on the fine white, white, the fine, 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 fine white lines on the free, free way. Uh, there you go. Uh, the divine goddess, Jenny Mitchell. Oh, so much politics and so much shit. Fuck it. Let's take some questions and then uh, we'll go to you guys here. Uh, I have a million things I want to talk about. Um, all right, let's talk about the French election ever so briefly. First, let's talk about uh, what's going on in Quebec. There's been protests for fucking ages going on there. Uh, and and uh, I'm all for uh, civil disobedience. In fact, I don't think there's any other way. Uh, Mother Jen said, arm yourself with knowledge against the coming conflict. And, of course, Thoreau said, don't, uh, what is it? Don't, don't, what is it? Don't buy any, don't, and don't, I can't get the sentence out of my mouth. Something about... Don't take any uh, endeavor that requires new shoes. Um, In any case, uh, pacifists are always uh, never heard. Uh, But the problem with what's been going on in Montreal is when there's been a little too much uh, nonsense. People tossing bricks off the city subway system, rocks off a downtown overpass. Now, the media would have you believe that students are evil because they raise the tuition on these people, and that's why they're protesting. They have a valid gripe. It's been going on and on and on forever. Last year in the States, as you recall, uh, when uh, the students at UC Davis protested their tuition going up 400%. From $5,000 to $20,000 a year, they were tear-gassed by Lieutenant Pike, who you remember walking uh, gingerly through and spraying them as if they were roaches in a kitchen. Uh, this week, there have been windows shattered on a number of cars and businesses, physical confrontations between police and protesters. Thousands of students continue to boycott their classes. One group promises nightly demonstrations. Well, you know, physical property is more important than people, always, especially to the government and especially to the police. They're always going to defend physical property uh, over the rights of students here. A number of pundits have been accusing the premier um, of, of Quebec, uh, Premier Monsieur Charest, uh, that have actually, blah, 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 um, of using the unrest for his own political aims. One columnist called it odd that a government renowned for backing down in the face of any fight appears so determined to keep up a battle now against students with unrest in the streets. Premier Jean Sorest reacted angrily when asked Thursday about the notion he might be planning an election campaign on the issue. I find that grotesque, he snapped at reporters in Quebec City. Uh, Let me point something out to you. Who talks about elections? The PQ, the CAQ party, the media, and I never do. Now, if there's one thing premiers never do, it's talk about politics. (laughs) All they're thinking about is how they can help people every day of their lives. Your own Premier Dexter, I'm sure, gets up this in the morning and just goes, golly, I wonder how I can make children's lives better. I wonder if a black policeman wrote a book that I could teach to grade eight, if that would make them happier. (laughs) 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 Education Minister Lean Beauchamp rejected, or is it Beecham? (laughs) 
If you were English, it would be Beecham. Further talks with the students Thursday because of their demand that two members from a more radical group be involved. Well, there's a good reason to break off negotiations. If you're so fucking worried that the police are having to fight the students every night, then why not have the fucking meeting? That's what negotiating is. Uh, thank you, one person, everyone else. I forgot where we were. We're in Halifax and shit like that. We're on the way Atlantic Coast. You guys are like, burn it to the fucking ground. They're French. I, I thought... I thought we dealt with them in the 18th century. <laughs> Beecham has said there'd be no negotiations with members of a student federation known as the CLASSE class. The government believes the group has not done enough to condemn the violence. Fair enough. I'm never about violence. Ever, 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 ever. So stop throwing bricks. Uh, but let's negotiate and get this fucking done and stop having riots in Montreal. The only time Montreal should have a riot is when the Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Exactly. Uh, they had an election in France. Uh, they're having an election in France. They're on to their second round of the election. Uh, now, you may not have been following what's going on over there. Nicolas Sarkozy, who's uh, married to Carlo Bruni, the former supermodel and mother at 40-something, which is always a little iffy to me, um, uh, lost the election to Francois Holland, who's the socialist candidate. Now, Francois Holland replaced Dominique Strauss-Kahn, who we've talked about many times on the Proofcast here. Dominique Strauss-Kahn is that man who has a way with women. <laughs> a very forceful way with women. They find him irresistible. Uh, in any case, uh, Monsieur Holland uh, won the election. Uh, Monsieur Sarkozy came in second. But what this gets down to is this. Uh, Marine Le Pen came third. Marine Le Pen's father was Jean Le Pen. And they're basically the right wing kind of, I don't know how to put this delicately, to give all fair due to their party. Um, right wing Nazi fuckers? How do I put this delicately? Uh, the national, yeah. Uh, they're the, the, the Front National, right? Yeah, they're like the Tea Party, exactly. Um, except they're not made up. This is a, a real group. <laughs> she finished third. Her father ran against uh, Chirac and lost. Uh, and everybody uh, voted for Chirac. And, and literally, I was in Paris when that election went down. And people were... They had, outside of the voting booths in Paris, they had pools of disinfectant in little tubs so people could stand in them and pretend to wash themselves after they voted for Chirac simply because they didn't want to vote for Jean Le Pen because the National Front is so right-wing. Marine Le Pen got 6.4 million fucking votes in the election in France, right? 17.9% of the election, right? So now, of course, these two guys, they're having a runoff. They're panicking. How do they appeal to the six, almost and a half million people who voted for Marine Le Pen? Well, at a rally in Paris suburb, of Rancy on Thursday, Monsieur Sarkozy continued to veer even further to the right to court Le Pen voters, stressing the need to curb immigration. You know, one thing you don't want is foreign people coming into your country bringing food and culture and knowledge and different ways that you might have to understand. What you want is a group of icky white people standing in a circle holding hands, making sure that everything will stay exactly as it was in the 1400s. Why is it always immigration? You guys are Canadians. I'm American. We all came over in a fucking boat. I mean, the, real, the Canadians that were here are no longer here anymore. Am I wrong? I mean, we all came over in a boat. Uh, and, or we walked over a land bridge a long, long time ago. Uh, the idea of immigration just cracks me up. 
uh, tighten borders, protect family values. Oh, right, family values. I forgot about family values. And we all speak code and we all know what family values means. That means uh, men who take other men's member into their mouth or (laughs) women who wish to visit the mollusk of mystery. They are not in your family. When you say family, you don't mean everyone in the family. You don't mean your cousin Jake. Because cousin Jake likes hair too much and his apartment's really clean. (laughs) Family values. I, I have an idea about your family values. Why don't you move them off my fucking ass? Uh... Secure Fortress France, Fortress France, and fight the dangers of what he warned was an encroaching multiculturalism. Heaven forfend the world should get smaller and that we should all know one another and that we should all acknowledge and recognize the awesomeness that is all the other races on fucking earth. Heaven forfend. Blah, 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 blah. Must I, like Francois Holland, hold my nose in front of six and a half million French? Just because those six and a half million French want to overturn the table, should we wipe them from the map? Do you really think they are six and a half million fascists? No, I don't. I think they're angry. And I think on top of they're angry, they're scared. That's what creates fascism. Fear is what creates fascism. Fear is what creates prejudice. Fear is what creates bigotry. If you know someone from another culture and you're friends with them, sometimes fascists are, you know, because there's that double thing that goes on. Well, I have a black friend, but I don't mean him. I mean all the other ones. I have a gay friend, but I don't mean him. I mean all the other faggots. You know what I mean? Uh, In any case... uh, Uh, Ms. Le Pen, Ms. Marine Le Pen, defended the honor of her voters and said it was unacceptable if her supporters were branded xenophobes. Well, this is what surprises me. Who knew there were that many rouge necks in France? (laughs) Speaking of immigration, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, which, as you know, is manned by uh, five insane people and four demi-coherent people... Uh, is hearing arguments Wednesday over a tough Arizona law that requires police to check the immigration status of people they stop for any reason. Uh, This has gone all the way to the Supreme Court. Civil rights groups say the Arizona law and similar ones in a number of other states encourage racial profiling and ethnic stereotyping, while supporters argue the states are doing uh, the job of federal government that has failed to adequately deal with the 11 million illegal immigrants currently. Now... Off the top of my head, because I've been reading it all week, the Pew Group did a study. The immigration from Mexico has almost stopped entirely in the United States. In fact, people are going back to Mexico. Mexico's economy has proved, their birth rate has gone down, and the American economy has nothing to offer Mexicans anymore. And these are the kind of cases we're arguing in the Supreme Court. So apparently in the United States, it's 1989. The United States is the country that invites you to stop collaborate and listen (laughs) hey uh, gamers what up if you're listening to the smartest man in the world you'll get a free 15 day trial of Gamefly if you go to www.gamefly.com stroke or slash if you will proofs or you can click on the banner on gregproofs.com and it'll all be good
We've had enough fun. Let's take some questions now. If you wish to query me on the electronic mail, smartestatospecialthing.com, I will answer all your questions. I don't read these beforehand. I may not be able to read them now because I can hardly see. Let's see here. Uh, Jeff asks, hello, Jeff. Hail, Proofmaster General. Well, hail. Uh, or as the group Redbone once said, hail, come and get your love. In the event of a world championship of snark, who would you defeat by the narrowest margin for the title? Oh, Kittens McTavish. Um, I think I can out-snark almost anyone. Just a day for a snark. I have said it thrice, and what I have said three times is true. Uh, everyone who could out-snark me is dead, I think, frankly. Uh, Kathy Griffin's pretty snarky, but she's snotty, too. I'm just openly vicious, I think, sometimes. I think the snarkiness gets a cloak uh, of the uh, snark... Where I wear a cloak of snarkiness, but underneath I've got a scabbard full of ick. Uh, I don't know. Who's super fucking snarky? I think there's a lot of snark masters in the world. Um, I mean, isn't that what comedy's all about? Uh, well, mostly. Um, I'm going to say that I would win the world championship of snark. Who would I defeat by the narrowest margin? Um, my wife. She's got a fucking, oh yeah, barbed tongue. Barbed tongue. I'll go, I'm going to talk about this tonight on the podcast. And she'll go, great, open with it. Thank you, Jeff, for that question. Uh, William asks... Oh, oh, no, I'm looking at you down the bar. No, this isn't a fucking cocktail lounge. There will be fucking silence in this room until I am finished tonight. You think I'm fucking kidding? I'm not fucking kidding. I'll take the mic and I will walk down there and shove it up your ass like Alexander the fucking Great against the Persians. You will fucking taste my javelin here tonight. That's how this fucking works. There are a thousand bars on this street. I invite you to fuck off and go to one of them and be with your other douchebag, dickhead, drunk, patty motherfucker friends. How's that fucking grab you? Thank you, my darling. Thank you. How very kind of you. Look what the bartender did. He brought me a tiny little Canadian glass of vodka. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm the king of snark. Remember the last question? <laughs> I made myself laugh. And then I snorked. Mmm. I, talk, I mentioned Ferguson Jenkins last week in the podcast. I don't, you probably haven't heard that one yet. Ferguson Jenkins was a Canadian a pitcher who's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, he was a black pitcher, uh, and um, he uh, uh, played on a team with Ernie Banks. Of course, Ernie Banks uh, played on the Chicago Cubs. Ernie Banks was on the, in the Negro Leagues. And as I mentioned last week, and I will mention again this week, Satchel Paige was, of course, a pitcher in the Negro Leagues. Uh, he did not, however, write one book. He wrote two fucking books. Uh, William asks, Dear Mr. Proops, Yes, Mr. William? Please name your top five unfuckable... <laughs> Please name your top five unfuckable and fuckable bands. Oh, fuck, that's a huge question. I may have to come back to that. I'm going to give you a couple of unfuckable bands right off the fucking top here. There we go. Um, let's start with fuckable bands because it's funner. Um... And when you say fuckable bands, do you mean fuckable bands? or do you? Well, you did. You, you specifically said bands, but I'm going to use the Kobayashi Maru scenario here and change the rules so that I win this game. I don't think many people would disagree that the Rolling Stones, and it's not because everyone in the Rolling Stones was fuckable. They weren't. Mick Jagger and Brian Jones at the beginning were absolutely fuckable, and then there was Keith and then the other ones. Um... <laughs> 
So uh, I think they might be the number one fuckable band. In my book, of course, Blondie. And it wasn't because of the boys in Blondie. Uh, Deborah Harry, to me, was an immortal fucking goddess who strode the earth on giant stiletto heels, and I would like her to kick the shit out of me. Um, uh, there's two fuckable bands. Let's see. Um, who would be another fuckable band? Um, I don't know. I mean, when you get to unfuckable bands, I'm afraid I'm going to have to say Rush is right at the top of that fucking list. In fact, in fact, I'm going to have to put three Canadian bands on the unfuckable list, and I'm very, very sorry about this. Fucking Nickelback and Bare Naked Ladies. I'm sorry, Bare Naked Ladies. I know there's a girl in a vintage dress with a tattoo wearing Mary Jane's out there with your fucking name on her. I know there is, Bare Naked Ladies, and I know you're nice guys and shit. And Nickelback, I would like to know how if everyone in the world doesn't like Nickelback, how do they sell so many goddamn records? That's what I'd like to fucking know. I have never, ever met... What was it? There's a lot of trailer parks? Yeah. Fair enough. Well, Leonard Skinner still sells records. So there you are. Okay, that was two. I had two fuckable bands and three unfuckable bands. I'm coming back for the other fuckable and unfuckable bands later. Um... If we're going to talk solo artists, uh, I think you'd, I, I would think Marvin Gaye would be at the top of the fuckable list because he was unbelievably handsome and dashing like a fucking movie star. Uh, and a T-Rex with Mark Boland because uh, Mark Boland was a, a, an amazingly fuckable tiny Jew with corkscrew hair. Um, I believe he said, uh, what was it? Johnny's all right. He's a real, he's a natural born poet. He's just out of sight. What is it? Something, but I don't care because I ain't no square with my corkscrew hair. Yeah. Uh, okay, there's all five fuckable bands, and I included Marvin Gaye in that. Uh, I need um, I need two more unfuckable bands. Um, what was it? What was it? The Cars. The Cars. Wow. I I had forgotten about the Cars. Sadly, the bass player who died, Benjamin Orr, the one who died of cancer, was quite good looking. I saw, believe it or not, I saw the fucking cars. In 1978, I went to the old Waldorf in San Francisco, which is now the punchline, right? We drove up from San Carlos, California, where I live, to go to see the cars. They were brand new, right? And they just had the one album, right? The first one with the girl with the steering wheel and whatnot. So they fucking started the show right there. <laughs> Cause when you're standing oh so near, I kind of lose my mind. Yeah. Um, it's not the perfume that you wear. It's not the rooms in your hair. That guy who sang that song, Benjamin Orr, was fucking good looking. Yeah. Okay. He had a Linda McCartney rock mullet. It was the seventies. Rick Ocasek, under no circumstances. I don't care. You would have to be a stick insect from Indonesia. And you know who he's married to? He's married to Polina Portsakova, who's one of the most stunning fucking delicious models of all time. Although she's no Stephanie Seymour. But Stephanie Seymour slept with Axl Rose. So what the fuck was she thinking? Oh, right. I know what she was thinking. This is good coke. This, this coke is so strong. This coke is so strong that I don't mind looking at the ginger hair around his balls. That's what fucking Stephanie Seymour was thinking. You are you in the jungle, baby? 
There was a moment when Guns N' Roses had the potential to be maybe the greatest band of all time, and they fucked it hard. Uh, Stephanie Seymour looks so awesome now, I can't even get over it. But, uh, yeah, she slept with Axl Rose. So, like, supermodels taste in bands. I remember when, uh, uh, was it Christy Brinkley married Billy Joel? She was like, his music's so great. It's like, did you take a blow to the head with a croquet mallet or something? No, his music's not so fucking great. It kind of blows. Come on, Virginia, now don't be late. Now, fuck you. That's not rock. How did he get? How did he get under the rock bar? How did that happen? If there's, if there is, if there's a fucking coolness police in heaven, if I am in charge, if I am in charge of fucking cool music in heaven, when you walk in and you tell me Billy Joel was your favorite, I'm like, no. You have to go stand over with the Phil Collins people over there in the fucking corner. That's right. You and Sting and Billy Joel and all you... Yeah, Sting, you fucking heard me. You know of my hatred for Sting. Don't even start me. Sting's in a fake Jamaican accent. Not even fake Jamaicans do that. Not even Joel Ward from Barbados. The hockey player on the cap sings in a fake Jamaican accent. And he has every right to, because he's, he's Bayesian. Sting is just the worst. Just fucking terrible. Phil Collins, oh golly. Chipong, capong, tipang, capong, chickypong. Then he had the fucking balls to sing that duet with Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind & Fire. Now, Earth, Wind & Fire is one of the awesomest funk bands of all time. Philip Bailey might have the best falsetto in the universe next to fucking Marvin Gaye. And fucking Phil Collins got out there and sang Easy Lover with him. It's like, dude, you're embarrassing yourself and shit. Do you realize you look like sort of a balding, chubby white guy next to fucking Philip Bailey and stuff? No one remembers that song. Jesus Christ, my ears just popped. Have I been screaming all night? Okay, so we added one more, the cars, that gives us four unfuckable bands. Two, three unfuckable bands. Oh, the Black Eyed Peas, I love it. Thank you. That was a young lady who said that. I would agree with you on the Black Eyed Peas, because, as again, you know my feelings about the Black Eyed Peas. As I've said so many times, and so many places, I, the Black Eyed Peas, to me, sound like a microwave oven wrote the song. <laughs> Tonight's gonna be a good night. No, it's not gonna be a good night. You know what I hate about the Black Eyed Peas? They think they're so 2000 and great, but they are so 2000 and late. That's my problem with the Black Eyed Peas. I don't find Fergie that fuckable. I I don't. She's not for me. I don't. I don't know. Who's her husband? Josh Hartnett or whatever. Josh Jessumel, Bechamel. He's a delicious sauce and. He's never been in anything anyone's ever seen. Other than that, he's great. There's that one dude in the Black Eyed Peas, and I know which one, you know which one I'm talking about. The tall dude with the fucking, who does the eighth grade dance moves and shit when they're out there. That dude, wow, Black Eyed Peas. I think we've reached five. 
Well done, Canadian crowd. Well done, Halifax, for providing the cars and the black-eyed peas on the unfuckable band front there. Someone said Iggy Pop. I disagree. I think if you were high enough, you could fuck Iggy Pop. And I'm talking about the men and the women in this room. Yeah. Iggy Pop is fucking awesome, man. His face, I mean, you totally have to fucking put a bag over his head. But his body is rock solid. And all the heroin, all the speed, all the alcohol. And his lyrics are just superb. I'm bored. I'm the chairman of the board. Fucking Iggy Pop is tremendous, tremendous. Uh, well, there we are with that. Thank you for helping me on that. Let's go to you guys. And if anybody wants to ask a question, Mr. Uh, Campbell, would you like to man the microphone? Mike Campbell, who owns this uh, fine establishment, the Carl Near. Let's have a hand for him. Raise your hand or do whatever. Remember, I'm insanely deaf. So you're going to have to repeat your question 15 times because not only am I blind, I'm insanely deaf. And it's not a wireless mic. So if you're in the back and you want to ask a question, you're going to have to come all the way up here uh, and wind your way through this gigantic crowd. Uh, since we're talking about bands... Um, uh, hi, Greg. Hi, what's your name, sir? Steven. Hi, Steven. I'm Greg. Hey, Greg. Um, so since we're talking about bands, my question is, um, which parliament would you entrust the future of the human race with, the Canadian parliament or the funk band parliament? I would entrust, thank you. I believe it was the funk band parliament who said, game it on you. Uh, I don't remember the Canadian parliament ever saying that at any point. So I would choose the funk band parliament and I would choose uh, their vocal group, Funkadelic, uh, to be uh, the, the speaker of that uh, house of parliament. Uh, there is nothing the funk band parliament didn't do. I think I've told this story before. No one, if I have, you'll have to fucking forgive me. I believe I've told it on the show before. This is horrible. I met George Clinton once several years ago, and he was high. And uh, had clearly dropped a piroshki down the front of his clothing. And uh, uh, he went, the pantubriousness of the electric sheep is only concomitant to the psychedelic rainbows that emanate from the luminescent clouds that envelop us in our evanescence. And I said, did I read an article about you? Was that in GQ or Esquire? And he went, GQ. Like that. So uh, there's nothing George Clinton didn't know about fucking funk. And by the way, George Clinton does not sing or play an instrument. And he wrote all their fucking songs. How does that fucking grab you, bitches? Uh, so he's in charge of parliament. Thank you for your question, Stephen. Where are you, Mr. Campbell? I'm over here, Greg. And by the way, your wife was such an awesome prime minister of this country. (laughs) Hello, Greg. What's your name, sir? Scott. Hi, Scott. I I noticed you don't have a long preachy part, so I may have a question that will solve that. Um, Why did the Americans remove the letter U from words like neighbor, color, that kind of favorite, that kind of thing. And I was wondering what your take is on that. Well, here's a question. I'll answer your question with a question in the Socratic method. Why do Canadians say arse and mum? And Zed, may I ask that question? Is it that because you're clinging to some sort of colonial connection because you have the queen on your money? Or is it simply that uh, there's a, this, this Anglo thing that, in, uh, that inspired you to get rid of all the French out of your country and move them to one fucking province or whatever, and then various places around Manitoba? Uh, I, I think it was because of um, um, our general illiteracy in our country. Uh, my understanding is that the people who uh, inhabited America largely uh, came from Kent, which is why we say water and English people say wuta. When you go to England and you say, I'd like a glass of water, 
because we say water, W-O-T-T-E-R, water. And they go, I, I have actually the, years ago, the first time I was in England 20 years ago, I would say, I like a glass of water. And they go, what? A glass of water. What? And then I, a glass of water. And they go, oh, water. I swear to God, I've had to change my pronunciation a thousand times in England just to get them to fucking understand me. Uh, I'm not sure why we dropped the U's, but I think it makes it simpler. I think too many vowels um, leads to uh, freedom and homosexuality. (laughs) Next thing you know, we're going to have Tim Hortons on every goddamn corner. Thank you for your question, sir. Where are we, Mr. Campbell? Over here. Hi, Greg. Hi, what's your name, darling? Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Um, so they're going to be discontinuing the penny here in, in, uh, in Canada. I'm just wondering what you think they should do with all of the pennies being discontinued. What they should do with all the pennies that what? They're being, we're, we're getting rid of them. Yes, you're taking so them you, out of circulation. What, what do you think should be done with the ones? Well, they should are... be put into various liquor bottles that you've collected over the years <laughs> and kept in your house until the end of goddamn time. <laughs> until your wife finally goes, are you going to fucking take those pennies out of that Galliano bottle that you've had in the corner for a thousand fucking years? And you go, well, I've been meaning to take them down to the bank for ages, but they don't have a coin counting machine anymore. And I don't know where to get those little rolls because they don't sell them at the fucking dime store anymore because there are no more dime stores. I think they should just be... Um, Thank you, buddy. Someone in the back laughed. Hey, you're still here. Welcome the back. Sorry I ranked on you guys earlier. I guess I came down a little hard on you. Hey, you guys need any pennies? Because there's going to be a zillion of them and shit. Your penny has a little maple leaf on it, does it not? Yes. Uh, I I think uh, you boil them all down and make a delicious brew of copper maple. And then uh, make that into a sauce and then send it all to Quebec City. And... uh, and they'll use it as oh I'm sorry is someone funnier than me wow we had a volunteer from the crowd who wanted to match wits with the proof kitten wow chatons what did you say brother you're more likely to get maple than copper yeah clearly you could you could rifle through a building and get more copper than you would out of a penny there's no question of that I think they should be stacked as high as you could possibly stack them all in one giant stack Starting in Ottawa and see how high it goes. Maybe you'll hit the moon or something. Or you could fill Hudson's Bay with them. They wouldn't fill that much because Hudson's Bay is fucking huge. Um, I think they should do away with them. The fact that you have dollar uh, loonies and uh, $2 toonies uh, is very exciting to me as an American. We have paper dollars and no one uses them anymore and no one uses pennies anymore. And it's clear that you need to kind of up the fucking currency. The only thing I like about coins is the ancient feel. You know what I mean? Like the thing about carrying a coin on you is like you feel like you're in ancient Rome and shit and you fucking boom, put a bunch of coins down. <laughs> Especially if you got a shitload of tunies and shit like that and you can actually buy lunch with tunies and shit. You throw them on the fucking table and you're like, these are doubloons, me and my crew. I want rum for all of my men. I will have poutine for my crew. Like it's hey, even you, Jean. Thank you for your penny question. Mr. Campbell, let us move on. We'll take a couple more and then we'll fuck off into the night. Where are you? Well, I don't know. I see you. Oh, there you are. What's your name, young man? Yan. Yan? Yes. Hello, Yan. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Mon plaisir. Enchanté. Enchanté. Um, 
being in Halifax, now you've had poutine. Have you ever had a donaire? Yeah. yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, I've yeah. had many donaires. Uh, I, I, um, sadly, and I was just telling someone this the other night. Oh, Christ on a cracker. I was in, um, I was in Chicago last week. And I, I was extraordinarily drunk after the show. Well, let's face it, I was extraordinarily drunk during the show. After the show, I was managed to totter back to my little fucking neighborhood where my hotel was near the Gold Coast. And there's a, there was a donor stand there run by two Mexican guys, which is awesome. And uh, 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 it was me and a bunch of dudes who you wouldn't have fucking hung out with if you were... Uh, what did Richard Branson say? You give money to them and it's the criminal underworld. The guys that were in this fucking donor shop were the fucking hoodiest dudes that ever fucking walked the face of the earth. They had like little televisions with them and shit. Like they were hard. They were hard. And I walked in there in my little suit and tie and shit, and I'm like, oh, cheese fry. And at that point, you go, cheese fry, not cheese fry. Fuck it. I've debased myself to this point. It's like when you go to your Coke dealer, you're like, I don't care about my life anymore. <laughs> so I had the fucking donor with cheese fries and an iced tea, and it was fucking awesome. That was one week ago. And no, I haven't had one here in Halifax, per se. But yes, uh, I can remember having one in Dublin years ago. And they didn't even give you a napkin or a serviette, as they call it in Dublin. Um, they, they, it was put into a plastic carrier bag, whole. And then you were to take it back to your room, where I was extraordinarily drunk on my pink fucking chamois bedspread. And with, with the one TV channel that's on in Ireland in the middle of the night, which is like in Gaelic. So it's like, cling, clang, clong, clang, clong, clang, clong, cling, clong, clang, clang, clang. Gandalf and you're like okay fuck and I fucking raped that donor kebab man I fucking just I, 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 honestly it was horrible you know the noise a Tasmanian devil makes when it's eating a sheep that's the noise I made that's how I did it oh I remember eating a donor kebab in Cleveland and I was wearing this extraordinary pair of Prada boots that I still have. And uh, although they got ruined in Washington a few years ago and they're beautiful brown zip up fucking beetle Prada boots. And I, we went out, we're drunk after the show and I bought a donor off a fucking stand in Cleveland, right? Because Cleveland's full of Lebanese, right? So I'm eating the, uh, the donor and the next morning I woke up and I looked at my boots and it looked like a seagull had shat all over my fucking boots. I had to clean them for half an hour. <laughs> So, yes, I have had a down air, and thank you very much for asking. I may have one tonight, depending on the circumstances. Although, after the lobster roll and the oysters today, I might be fucking baleen, Greg. You may find me on the beach with my giant web in my mouth, like, like a fucking blue whale. One more question, and then we'll piss off. Where are you, Mr. Campbell? We're over here, Greg. Um, I know you come to Canada to talk about... Hi, what's your name? Hi, I'm Ben. Let's start with some salutations, shall Hi. we? Hi, I'm Ben. Hello, Ben. The two of us need look no more. <laughs> we both found what we were looking for with a friend to call my own. I'll never be alone. And you, my Ben, can see you've got a friend in me. I used to say I am me. Now it's us. Now it's we. Yes, Ben. That, that's exactly From how the I sequel feel. to the movie Willard, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you. Michael Jackson did the theme song to the sequel to the movie where um, they had to fight rats. <laughs> ben was the other rat besides Socrates. <laughs> Fucking good movie, that. Didn't, didn't see the remake, although I wish I had because I think Crispin Glover's awesome. Go on, Ben. Thank you. Um, I know you come to Canada to talk about U.S. politics, but... Uh, They've got like a 10 to 15% approval rating in Congress. 
what do you think in the next 20 or 30 years is going to happen with that? Because there's no way it can keep going lower for much longer. Oh, I don't know. We had Bush and Cheney for eight fucking years. We had Reagan and Bush Sr. for fucking 12 years. I think we can go as low as you want to go, baby. I mean, when you look at the 20th century, there's a couple of bright spots, right? I mean, if we go through every president of the 20th century, which I'm fully prepared to do right now, starting with McKinley and moving on into uh, Taft, Roosevelt, and everybody, uh, I, I think you could say TR was, a, you know, a bold, if not a bright spot. And then years go by. There was Coolidge. Uh, Harding was an absolute fucking disaster. It was the George W. Bush of the 20s. Uh, Coolidge never said a goddamn word. Then we had FDR, and I, I'm a big fan of FDR. He could have done other things, but uh, he tried to stack the Supreme Court, which is an awesome thing to do. He wanted to make it 12 and appoint the other three. See what he did? Um, and then, of course, he uh, hid the fleet at uh, uh, Pearl Harbor so that the Japanese could attack them. There's a few things Roosevelt did. <laughs> Uh, having said that, uh, and at the end, Roosevelt was not strong enough to face fucking Stalin uh, at Yalta. That, that much is clear. Having said that, I think Roosevelt uh, had the best interests of the country in mind. Uh, then we had Eisenhower for eight years. Then we had Nixon uh, for six, six and a half, seven years, was it? I, I, I think you underestimate how low we can go in the United States. <laughs> We've had Millard Fillmore, James Knox Polk, Rutherford B. Hayes. We've had presidents of such little distinction, you have no idea who I'm talking about. <laughs> In 30 years' time, as you're talking about, do you think that history is going to look back at George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and go, fuck yeah. <laughs> they had that shit covered. Remember when America led the world and had a bunch of money and then they started war against every fucking useless country in the world for no fucking reason whatsoever and their economy went in the tank? And then they elected a black guy and blamed it all on him? Remember that awesome moment in American history? Who shall we give the fucking steering wheel of the Titanic to? Let the, let the black guy have it for a while. And I use the Titanic because you celebrate the Titanic here almost ceaselessly. I, I, think you're, uh, I think you're underestimating us. Now, mind you, you, you had Mr. Martin and you had uh, Mr. Crutchen, and uh, they proved that it's easy to meet friends in a back room and give them a bag of money. So... Uh, uh, really, even the people with the best intentions can uh, end up osculating man bag in a most fervent way. That means licking balls for those of you who aren't who aren't following me. Uh, my assertion is that uh, we need a woman president and one who has women's interests in mind, uh, not a pretend president, and not a woman president like Sarah Palin or Michelle Bachman. I mean, a woman who doesn't hate other women—that kind of woman. Uh, uh, but having said that, I think everything will change with or without us. What I'm looking forward to is the people who are young now being the leaders. And I know I'm not going to live long enough to see all the changes uh, and thank fuck. But uh, uh, I think that the world's going to be groovy, I'm hoping, in 30 or 40 years when everyone who's in their teens and 20s now is older. Um, because I, I don't think uh, uh, people in their teens and 20s give a fuck about gay marriage or medical marijuana or abortion or any of that hot button, push button immigration. Fucking it's a hot any of family values and shit like that. The family's evolving. Uh, eventually, a family's going to be you on your phone texting your fucking friends. So, uh, 
I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, Congress is, is a shocking group of fucking criminals. And if it were up to me, all of them would be bitched. And I, you may know or may not know my opinion. I've already stated this on the Proofcast many times. I'm not voting in the next election. I'm done with fucking electoral politics. I'll never stop supporting causes and I'll never stop being political. But uh, I find that the presidential election in America is an utter farce. It's a charade like going through security in an airport. Everyone is bought and sold by the corporations, and I'm sorry that includes President fucking Hope. If I had to vote, I would vote for President Hope over, pre- over Mittens, because Mittens is an unconscionable fucking poltroon. Uh, the fact that Rick Santorum was allowed to run for president in my beloved democracy is enough to make me never, ever want to step foot in my fucking country again. That's how ashamed I am of that. And yet... That's how it goes. So, uh, but at the same time, I respect that people are afraid and, and fucking scared and maybe should read a little more. Uh, so that's how that is. Thank you very much for coming out to the show. That's been the Proofcast tonight. You've been a lovely crowd. This has been from the, the Carlton in Halifax at the Halifax Comedy Festival. My name's been Greg Proofs, and you are beloved to me. I wish every turn of the page will be a satchel page for you. Bonsoir. Au revoir. Comment ça va?